Father, I, I thank you for your creation. It was so beautiful up there in Lake Tahoe. And wherever we travel throughout the word, your wonders never cease to amaze. I would pray, Lord, that you would amaze us through your word, that the Apostle Paul and his commitment to you and how he just persevered through tough times and trials and stoning, he just had a joy, never complaining, going forward. I would ask that you would instill in us that same attitude that Paul and his companions as he traveled, they experienced. And they certainly had the fullness of joy knowing that people were placed into your kingdom because of their efforts. May you mature us, bring us along, may we gain experience so that we might do the very same things as the Apostle Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever stopped to think about why our society is in cultural decline? Just looking at it, just in general. Uh, you, You look out there and you go, it's a question. Why is this happening? Why are we going in this direction? Why is it becoming so strange to what we consider normal behavior in our country? Well, I think it's partially due to the word tolerate. We tolerate so much which is out there and we do not push against the flow, so to speak. And the word tolerate, it means to refrain from interfering with or prohibiting something undesirable or outside one's own practice or beliefs. In other words, we allow or we just, we permit it, we don't say anything, we just go with the flow, so to speak. Now our society is changing, but at this moment in time, it is not changing for the better. And there have been times of positive change in our society in the past. Now, in the 18th and 19th centuries, it began towards the beginning of the 19th century. And by the way, when we do the centuries, if you say this is the 21st century, it's the year 2023. It's not 2123. So as you go back, if you say it's the 19th century, it would have been the 1800s, that type of thing. So there was the first great awakening and it was in the 1730s through the 1740s and there was tremendous change in England and here Charles and John Wesley they were having a a great impact George Whitfield those guys were all during that time then you had the second great awakening and that took place during the 1790s and the early 1800s and you had people like Charles Finney Charles Finney was a, a great preacher Back at that time, the Third Great Awakening was in the 1850s. And this is preceding the Civil War. The Civil War began at Fort Sumter in uh, South Carolina. And it was in 1861 that the first shot was fired there. And and so during this time, you had Spurgeon and you had Moody and uh, just several preachers during that era. And we really don't know what was taking place unless you get biographies and I've gone through some biographies of what was taking place during that time but this second great awakening the one where Charles Finney was there there were tremendous outpourings of the Holy Spirit and people were repenting and they had these huge camp meetings where people would come in thousands of people would come in and there would be repentance and sometimes people would criticize these meetings because There were things that they considered barking in the spirit, so to speak. 
And what actually took place was people were so grieved and they were weeping so hard that it was hard for them to catch their breath. And they would almost choke doing that. And so the critics of this time, they would ascribe other nefarious uh, characteristics to these uh, camp meetings, so to speak. This gave rise to the Methodists, and the Methodists would do these circuits. They would be called circuit riders, and they'd get on horses, and they'd go from one camp to the other, and they would preach the gospel. And thousands and thousands of people came to the Lord as a result of this, and this began in Kentucky and Tennessee and Ohio, and it involved the Presbyterians, Methodists, and the Baptists. And there was great change in our country as a result of this second great awakening. Now, during that time, Calvinism and Puritanism, they started to take a back seat a little bit. Now, Charles Finney, he was a Presbyterian minister. And if you know anything about the Presbyterians and the Reformed theology, they believe you have nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. God does everything. You don't even choose. God chooses you. Charles Finney, who bucked that said we have some personal responsibility in this and there were some battles going on uh, between the the uh, people like Finney and the Presbyterian Church and the Puritans who were there and this is where you started to see the advent of other doctrines and churches like Adventism uh, Seventh-day Adventists they came along during that time and a little later on you had the Mormons and and so there were several things that were taking place at that time changed throughout the country at least the known country at that time. <clears throat> and so because of these great awakenings, these movement movements, they extolled these particular virtues, almost becoming a social gospel like industry, sobriety, self-defense, anti-poverty, the spreading of public schools and libraries, prison reform, abolition, the temperance movement. This is where... Uh, the prohibition came in because of the temperance movement. They didn't want anybody having alcohol. They talked about utopian communities. The women's rights movement, the suffrage movement came eventually out of this. The reformed in working conditions and mines and places like that and factories and changes in child rearing and even dietary reforms. All of these things were sweeping across the country. The problem with this is that eventually got into just a social gospel. Let's just go ahead and make the changes socially, and then we'll talk to people about the gospel. And this gave rise to the idea of amillennialism or postmillennialism, where everything is just going to get better, and it'll get so good, and that's going to be the millennium, that Jesus will just come back at the end, and he's going to establish his new kingdom. There's no rapture, anything like that. And some false doctrines came out of that. But people were sincerely repenting of their sins there was great change going on in the country and there was even a move to restrict tobacco and and when i grew up i don't know about most of you in here but we took a couple of trips as a family and i can remember going through some small towns and we would be traveling on a sunday to get back <clears throat> excuse me back to oklahoma and denver and we'd go through these small towns and they were all closed there was nothing open and I can remember asking my parents, why isn't anything open in this town? They said, well, it's Sunday. Everything is closed on Sunday. Now we have baseball and karate and Del Mar Fair events and cheerleading and just all kinds of things take place on Sunday. And that culture has changed. 
It is modified. <clears throat> now, I, I don't know if that's for the better or not. I tend to think not. But these changes were a result of people getting together, seeking after God, and changing their own lives. And, and these changes were not a result of people getting together and deciding to change things. These changes in the culture were because God moved on the hearts of the people and the people started saying, I need to do this to please God. It's not because of committees. And that's what we do today in our culture. We get a committee. How can we fix this? <clears throat> and we're not relying on God whatsoever. In chapter 19, we see God moving in the hearts of the people in the city of Ephesus, which brought about great changes in the culture, not only to the city, but to the entire area of Asia. Now, how are we impacting our culture? Are we just simply being tolerant? Well, you know, you just can't change things. You just have to let them go. I mean, there's so much turmoil everywhere. And you think to yourself, what can I do? How, how can I affect the change? Or maybe you don't even think about that. Maybe you think it's just, this is useless. There's nothing I can do whatsoever. I'm going to become a prepper. I'm going to get all kinds of guns and food. And I'm going to build a bomb shelter. And nobody's going to touch me because I'm moving up to Montana where they have their own constitution. Everything is going to be just great. It, it, well, you can do that, but it's not going to have any kind of effect on the world. It, it, a side note to this is, there have often been communities in the past that say we're a Christian community and you have to be a Christian to live here and we don't want any outsiders. And God would not have us do that. God would have us live in the midst of the turmoil and try to affect the change by being a personal witness. Now, how did Paul begin this change? And it wasn't Paul. It was the Holy Spirit working through Paul, but Paul was being obedient. We just know that in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, he decided to go to Ephesus. That's where he headed out. And once he got to Ephesus, for three months he went to the synagogue and he spoke boldly in the synagogue. After three months, the people in the synagogue said, we've had enough of this. Get out of here. And Paul says, fine. Well, we're going to go over to this building over here. We're going to meet here. And he did so for the next two years. It was an investment that he made in the people who were open to the gospel and what God had to say. And he had discussions daily with these people for that period of time. And it affected a change in the people in Ephesus. And again, not only Ephesus, but all of Asia. And then we see it had such a change. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? They decided they wanted to start casting out demons. They were Jews. And they said, we cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul preaches. And the demon said, hey, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? And the demon in the person beat those seven people up, the stuff, and went away bleeding, naked. It was just like, wow, just kicked them away. And because of that, the people were affected. They became a little fearful of what was taking place, how God would actually move like that. And remember, I told you Paul was seven times more powerful than these seven men that were out there and that's the power of God to go out and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 15 of Acts chapter 19 where this demon is speaking he says Jesus I know and and I know about Paul but who are you then the man who had the evil spirit jumped him then overpowered them all gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding 
When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the values of the scrolls, a total came to 50,000 drachmas, and I gave you the translation, it's 138 years of the wages for an average worker. That's how much these scrolls were worked. This was the impact that the preaching of Paul and the workings of the Holy Spirit had on the people in Ephesus. How many people do you need to have to bring together enough scrolls to have 138 years of wages of the average employee? There's going to be thousands of people that are affected here in Ephesus. Then verse 21 He says, after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. And the reason he wanted to go to Macedonia and Achaia, Luke doesn't mention it here, but other places it's mentioned. Paul was collecting offerings for the church in Jerusalem because the persecution was coming so great. And if you were a Jew and you became a Christian and they found out about it, you were ostracized, you were put out of the church, you were not allowed to be going to the synagogue, you were basically anathema, you you were cursed. As a side note, uh, there is a particular church that somebody in our youth group is attending and uh, they said that as they go to this church, this church is being a little judgmental. And for instance, uh, this young woman, she has to wear a dress and the dress has to be below her knees. And she's not allowed to wear a cross because that's a symbol of Christ's death and you shouldn't have that around your neck. And you're not allowed to cut your hair and, and you need to just uh, kowtow to whatever the desires of the particular church are. And the reason she's going there is because of a boy. And of course, and the boy um, who's going there, he's really interested in her. And so I started asking her questions. I said, well, if you were to marry this young man eventually, I said, even though he's not requiring all these things of you, What if he changed his mind? Could you submit to all of those things that he asked you to follow according to the teachings of the church? And she, hmm, that's what she said. And then I said, well, could you submit to the church and attend it for the rest of your life? She goes, no. Hmm, so what are you going to do? Are are you going to submit to this young man but not submit to the church? She goes, well, I would go to a different church. And I go, mm, yeah. No, not a good idea. You know, if, if you can attend the same church as your spouse, that's always a great idea to do that. And so there's difficulty, and, and Paul was being judged for what was going on, and he sent Timothy and Erasmus, and he's coming up with funds uh, to, from these other churches in Macedonia and Achaia to protect the church in Jerusalem, which is being persecuted and ostracized and excommunicated and all these things. And that's the difficulty that they had then. 
And this is the problem, speaking about this young lady and she's going to the church. This is what we have with the different factions in Christianity. Are the people in the church saved? I believe so. Do we all pass judgment? I believe so. Are some more harsh than others? I believe so. But I also believe that in the future, some of this excommunication, some of this persecution, so to speak, I believe it's going to come from the outside. But on the inside, it's going to cause a sifting. A sifting of who will follow Christ and who will not follow Christ. Who is willing to put up with the inconvenience and who is not willing to put up with the inconvenience. Uh, when we were at the birthday party yesterday, I showed a little bit of a, um, a video to some people of this one woman. And she's lost her medical license, but she sang What's Ahead for Us with the WHO organization, the World Health Organization. And they're trying to supersede all laws in all countries and take away all human rights and take away all property and take away all ownership of land and animals and anything you might actually possess as your own. And that's where we're headed. And so I believe there's going to be a persecution for everybody on the outside as well as a persecution, a sifting on the inside of the church. Just exactly what Paul ended up experiencing here but going on in verse 23 about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way now the way we are part of the way we are christians we are part of the way if you're not a believer in jesus christ you're not part of the way if you're not a believer in jesus christ you don't go to heaven there's only hell in heaven there's only two places and the choice is available to you whether you want to go or not you just have to ask jesus to save you from your sins and admit you into the kingdom of god and he will but verse 24 says a silversmith named demetrius who made silver shrines of artemis brought in no little business from the craftsmen he called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said men you know we receive a good income from this business and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He said that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia And the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, this is taking place after all the scrolls had been put together and burned. And this is a magnificent structure in the ancient world. Daryl, you want to show what that uh, Temple of Artemis looked like? That was it. Look at the size of that thing. And, And this is what Ephesus was centered around. And not only was this building a place of worship, but it was also a bank. And cities and individuals who are wealthy would take their money there, thinking that the goddess Artemis would protect it. And there's always somebody at this particular temple. And so they thought the money would be safe there. It was a place of tremendous wealth that was there. Now, who was Artemis? Who was Diana? Well, she was the god of sex, goddess of sex. Here's her picture. Now, those are breasts that are on there, and they worshipped her as like the goddess of fertility. You have the other picture as well? And, and so the silversmith, now this one looks like it's bronze, the silversmith would make these things and make little temples and fashion them, and it's kind of like we're going to Israel, right? 
When we go to Israel, if whatever store, gift store you walk into, there's one thing you're guaranteed to see. And it's going to be carvings out of olive wood. You're going to see Moses. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to have communion cups. You're going to have different things, even big carvings out of olive wood you will see there. Well, when people would go to this temple, these individuals, especially the silversmiths, they made a tremendous living out of people coming to the temple. What can we take home as a keepsake? You know, we can take our little idol home of Artemis, Diana, and we can set that up on the little mantle there, and it's going to be just great. And so they had a tremendous business. And again, when we go to Israel... You're going to be encouraged, sometimes what happens, and I I don't know how this particular tour will go, but when you're driving from city to city, what they'll do is sometimes in the middle or at the end of the day, they stop at one of these little stores. And I think there's a kickback going on with the tours. And you just bring the people here and we'll give you a discount. And for you today, it's going to be half off, you know. And and you're going to have all that type of commerce going on. And you can buy something. You can choose to buy something. You can choose not to buy something. I don't recommend that you buy the headscarves with the band and look like Yasser Arafat or anything like that. I, I don't recommend that. Uh, you can buy a yarmulke for the men if you go there, a shawl for the women. And there's nice jewelry and things that they have there. But there's money to be made, most certainly. And back then, there was a tremendous amount of money to be made. Now, these, th- this temple, if you want to bring that one back up, Daryl. This temple had 127 pillars, each 60 feet high. And it, w- it was adorned with great sculptures. It was completely lost to history in 1869. And they were able to unearth it in 1965. And there's different pictures of what they think the temple was, of what they've unearthed. But it, the temple itself, it was a monstrosity. It was just huge. And pagan worship was going on there. Now, verse 28 says, when they heard this, and of course, this is uh, the silversmith named Demetrius he's speaking when they heard this they were furious and began shouting great is Artemis of the Ephesians so all these guys are together and they start yelling in unison soon the whole city was in an uproar the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed as one man into the theater Paul wanted to appear before the crowd but the disciples would not let him even some of the officials of the province Friends of Paul sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So it's just a riot that's going on there. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. And that's what happens in a riot. Why are we here? I don't know. But let's just start yelling and rioting and breaking things. And so that's what was going on. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front. And some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. Now, remember... It's the silversmith Demetrius that he's upset that he's losing income and the Jews join with them to protect the silversmiths with the temple of Artemis. What do you think God thinks about that? You're supporting these people? You're being tolerant of these people just to get Paul and to keep Jesus from being preached. He motioned for silence in order to make the defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, 
They all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I see this type of thing going on right now in Sweden and in England, and it's the Muslims who are doing it. They're lining the streets, the women especially. I just saw one this morning, uh, yesterday. These women all dressed in the black burqas, and they're all pushing strollers, and they're marching, and they're chanting. There was another one. Uh, I believe it was in England as well. They took over a whole street and the men are just throwing their arms and they're just yelling and they did it for a long period of time. And they're proclaiming that they have overtaken the West. They have conquered the West. And this is going on in France, England, Sweden. It's not even safe in many areas of Sweden for women to go out into the streets anymore because they can be sexually accosted. Even in Poland, there were four individuals from the Middle East, refugees, and they went to a public pool, and they started molesting the girls in the public pool, and the police had to come in to stop the parents, the fathers, from actually lynching these guys. And Poland, for a long time, they didn't accept any refugees just for this reason, and they're very proud of that. And so there's an incursion into Europe. The face of Europe is completely changing, and it's all because of these radicals. Now, back then, with this Temple of Artemis, these people would have been considered radicals. They worshipped the false god, and we're seeing the same thing today. Now, it goes on in verse 35. The city clerk, or he would be like the mayor, quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that this city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess." If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, you are in danger of being charged with with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, He dismissed the assembly. So what can we learn about what's taking place here? I have several points for you on this. First, Paul determined that he would go to Ephesus at the prompting of the Lord. You know, he he was told to go to Macedonia and and Ephesus is below that. and, And so he was traveling in that area and he decided he had a focus of who to go to. He had a city, a destination, and then there was a people to reach. Second, He went to the synagogue first for three months and he was rejected and he kept meeting in a secular hall for two years. He had a long-term objective that was there. When the people witnessed, number three, God working, they were changed. And as a result, the culture changed. So Paul went to the people, continued with the people, The people changed, and there was change in the culture. Fourth, there was opposition to the moving of the Holy Spirit, and that opposition led to violence. You can count on it if you spend enough time witnessing or going on a a crusade uh, to a foreign country, something like that. There's always going to be those who will oppose you, who will not like what you are doing. 
even when we came here to Lakeside, uh, there were people, I got word, that were saying, why are there so many churches in Lakeside? There's like one on every corner. Well, praise the Lord. There's one on every corner. But, but people don't like the fact that Christ may be moving, the Holy Spirit working in the individuals, people getting saved, because the world thinks that salvation, this whole idea of Jesus being crucified, is a detestable thing. And that's because they want to live their own lives according to their own dictates, their own morality. And, and that's what was happening both then and that's what happens now. Now, in verse 37, those preaching Christ, namely Paul, were not leveling an attack on the culture of the day. Now, this is important. <clears throat> we can... Well, let me give you this example. Do you remember the moral majority... Now, there was a, a preacher, Jerry Falwell. He created an organization called the Moral Majority. And there would be bumper stickers that would come out that would say, the moral majority is neither. You know, and you'd see that on cars. And what he had hoped to do was create an organization that would influence the culture politically, socially, and culturally. And it's not around today, I think that Christ would be behind that, that Christ would have us influence the people and not the culture. I've told this story many years ago, but when I was going to, when Patty and I and our family, we were going to Calvary Chapel La Mesa, we would go by the Catholic church on the way. It was just like two blocks down from that as we'd get on El Cajon Boulevard. We'd go by there, and during that time, there was a problem with the prostitutes on El Cajon Boulevard. And so what the Catholic Church decided to do was get their women out on the street with big signs and placards saying, no more prostitutes on our streets, walking up and down the streets. It's just my opinion. I think that those women should have gone to the prostitutes and ministered to them rather than holding the signs out there. And as Christians, we can get sidetracked. We're so focused on the culture. You know me. I talk about the culture. I talk about politics. And people go, oh, again, there you go. I talk about that stuff. But it's only to inform. We are to be going to the people. Not not denigrate the goddesses and gods of this world who are out there. Not speak against and take placards up against the homosexual community. If we are asked about it, we say it's wrong. It's completely wrong. Uh, and I was able to engage um, in a conversation at a restaurant. Uh, the restaurant my son and I went to, uh, we ended up meeting our host at another restaurant. It, we thought it would be polite to sit with him. And, and we did. And I talked to a couple of people there at the restaurant. You know, sometimes people are real friendly. The, our host said, people in Tahoe are weird. And I said, well, okay. And I had this one lengthy conversation of somebody who came out of a cult. And then I talked to this other guy. And, this, and they were both not believers at all. And I spent some time talking with the two of them. And I could tell one of them, I told him, Jesus Christ, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And this uh, person said, well, what's your favorite verse? And I said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, I give him Romans 10, 9 and 10 and Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And the other person just wanted to chit chat and he, he called himself, uh, he came from San Francisco 
and he called himself a libtard. That was his definition of who he was. And I said, oh, really? I said, who do you think should run for president? And he said, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She should be president. I go, oh, you know, so I, I, I didn't go on a rant or anything like that. I just listened to what he had to say. Now, I didn't get a chance to go into the gospel like the previous person, but that's what you want to do. You want to engage people, people who are complete strangers. They want to talk usually, especially if they're alone. You know, they, they want to have a conversation. This is how the culture gets changed. We talk to the people. We don't go out there with placards and put them in people's faces. But there may be, I know the abortion clinics, I know they do that. They go out there with the pictures. And I'm kind of conflicted about that. Because they can see the pictures and people, they are not only taken back, but they're disgusted by those pictures. But I know the purpose of those pictures is to bring reality to individuals. And some people are going to be affected by that positively and some negatively. But the whole purpose is you better be there when somebody comes up and wants to talk. You talk to them. There's many vehicles in order to do that. And I'm not going to judge another man's servant because of that. But I'm simply going to say it really lies within us to carry out a conversation. That's where it lies. And not only do we give the gospel or we give instruction about Jesus Christ... But we take the time to do it in a prolonged period. We meet with people. We, we offer to meet with them. We offer to bring them to church. We offer to take them to Bible study. If we're doing that, we're doing the work of Christ. If we simply make posts online, oh, you crazy nut, stuff like that, you're not going to get anywhere with that type of attitude or posting on the Internet. It really needs to be face-to-face and will have an impact. Remember, verse 37 says, You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. So we're not supposed to bomb abortion clinics. We're supposed to talk. We're not supposed to say how evil and wicked the homosexual community is to their face and just try to offend them. We're to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Let them know it's a sin. We can obviously do that. But let them know there is forgiveness in that. And that's not just the homosexuals. That's for any sin. Even those who are greedy are kept out of heaven. And and so we want to make sure if somebody's greedy or sexually immoral or whatever the case might be, we talk to them about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And also, all of this took place because Paul's commitment to a long-term strategy of making disciples. You've heard me say this. Not only are you supposed to be involved personally in discipleship, making yourself a disciple as much as you are able. Of course, Christ does that in us, but we go forward, we read, we study, we fellowship, all of those things. But we need to grab somebody else. Say, let me help you with this. Let me lead you along. Let me give you further instruction on what it is to follow the Lord. So that's that's what happened there, but we also need to apply this to ourselves. Ask yourself the question... Are you, am I, are all of us in here, disciples? What does that mean? Are are you a disciple? Are you following Christ? Not that you don't fail, because who in here doesn't fail? Everybody fails. 
But are you really proclaiming Jesus Christ at every opportunity? Are you studying? Are you in fellowship? Are you going to church? Or are you saying, oh, not today? If you're like me, I struggle with that Sundays. I got work to do. I have to get up and I'm so far behind. And I, I will purposely say, I know, Lord, and I hear. I'd like to hear that small voice. Have you read today? Have you listened to the scripture today? I'm busy, you know, and and we do that. I know I do that, and I'm sure you must do that as well. So we want to make sure we can confidently say we are judging ourselves. And you've heard the old adage, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? That's what you want to look at. People would look at you and say, oh, yeah, they're a Christian, all right. That's what we want to be like in this world. Second, we are to be informed but not make the culture the focus of the reform. We're to be informed but not make the focus the culture and reforming it. We're not supposed to do that. We will fail at that every time. When I've tried to do that in the past, it just doesn't work. Now, we can be informed what's going on and we can act accordingly and I think that's very important but we do not attack the culture just like Paul also thirdly we're to know that if we seek to be a disciple there will be oppositions if we seek to be a disciple of Jesus just like Paul did it's just going to come you know where the opposition is going to come from first from you you're going to be your own worst enemy when I got up this morning I, I set my alarm early to get up, review the message, and I laid there and I thought, I do not want to get up. I do not. And I grabbed my phone at that point and I have an off switch, but it goes off like five times, you know. And, and so I'm just laying there and I go, oh, I just want to lay, I don't want to get up. And we do that to ourselves. We prevent ourselves from being disciples because of the flesh. The flesh gets in the way. And then secondly, it's going to be those around you. You're reading again. You're going to church again. Don't you think it's just a little much? You know, what's the deal with that? And then, of course, from the outside, the secular world will oppose you. So those are the points of opposition that will come up to us if we're going to be a disciple. And, and also, our attention span you know, again, we're our own worst enemy. We get so focused on something else that is out there, especially in this digital age. The phones, the computers, the, the television is no longer cable. You get a choice of all these different apps and you can watch whatever you want to. Thousands of hours of programming, but nothing to watch. You know, that's the way it goes. And we can be so distracted. Even in a message, you can go... I watched going off here. Have you ever been uh, in a church service like one here and an alarm goes off on somebody's phone or somebody's watch? I think that's a reminder that they want me to know it's the end of the hour. It's time to wrap it up. You know, that that type of thing. Uh, That happens as well. So opposition will come. Friends and family might be more apt to change when they witness a change in you. So if there's a change in you and what you're doing, they may have a tendency to ask. Not everybody will. Some will condemn, but they may have a tendency to ask. Pray about who God would have you reach out to. 
And this is the hardest part because we, we don't like rejection. We're fearful of opening up our mouths to somebody else, whether a stranger or somebody who's familiar. We just don't want to do it. And God says, go ahead. Give it your best shot. And when you do, you know, the conversations that you end up having are sometimes very, very fruitful. And God wants to use us in that way. And sixth, be very careful about doing nothing. Because that's our default position, is doing nothing. Not reaching out, not studying, not going to church. Uh, remember Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20, we're supposed to go out and make disciples. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear about someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We're, we're supposed to bring good news to the people who are out there. And also, it is my job to do this. Now, at this particular point, if you're going, why is he telling us to go talk to people and study and go to church? It's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. The book of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's a good deed to go to talk to somebody. Now, if you want to say, he talks too much about going to talk to other people and being disciples. You don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the scripture. Turn to God and say, God, I have a problem with you making me go out and talk to other people. You can get in conversation with God about that. He goes, I see. Tell me more. And he'll end up changing your mind as you spend time with him. That's the whole purpose of walking with Christ and being a disciple. And Paul, lastly, he encouraged the people after this uprising to continue. And we need that encouragement to continue in the faith and to reach out to others. This is exactly what Paul did in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20. And I'm just going to read those and close out with this before we receive communion. In chapter 20, it says, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. That would be modern-day Greece, or right above Greece. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arriving in Greece, where he stayed three months because the Jews made a plot against him. Just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. And so it just, the cycle repeats. Wherever he would go, this cycle would repeat. So this idea of following after the footsteps of Jesus and of Paul, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we have Acts chapter 19. This example is given to us to follow the example in Scripture. And the whole reason we do this is because Christ saved us and we are grateful to him. And this is his desire for us in this life. And what we're going to do now is Kim is going to come up and we're going to receive communion. The ushers, remember, we're back to the normal um, avenue of uh, giving and receiving communion where the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass out the plates with the cups and also the bread. And you can participate in receiving that communion, holding on to it until we can all receive it together. And then we will end up recognizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the receiving of the communion here, this ordinance. We have two ordinances here at Calvary Chapel. 
the first one is communion. The second one is baptism. And we participate in both. And so as Kim begins to play, if there is uh, anything you need to confess to the Lord, go ahead and do that. And the ushers will pass this out. So hold on to it until we can receive it together.